Hi everyone, welcome to this new episode of the Players' Lounge, the tennis podcast that focuses on the mental aspect of the game. My name is Jennifer Migon, I am a former professional tennis player and I launched this podcast because I wanted to create a space in which tennis players could find tools and solutions in order to improve their mental skills. But this podcast is not only for tennis players, it is also for parents and coaches whose ambition is to help their children and players to reach their full potential. If you are a regular listener to the Players' Launch podcast, thank you so much for your support. If you are new to the pod, welcome. And at the end of the episode, if you like what you hear, I would really appreciate if you could leave comments and five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It will really help me to increase the podcast's visibility and to increase the Players' Launch community. If you're not listening to the podcast on Apple Podcast or Spotify, no worries. You can listen to this episode on Google Podcast, Deezer, Overcast, Chromecast, Amazon Echo, Amazon Prime, Player FM, Podcast Addict, you name it. All right, it is already the end of January and the least we can say is that we've already been pretty gifted we started the year with this uh, series on Netflix, Breakpoint, although it proved not to be <laughs> a lucky charm for the players that um, were featured, but it was a great uh, showcase of, of, of sports. And of course, the Australian Open, of course, the first slam of the year, and that was a good one. And I want to start this uh, two-part episode because you know how I do, guys. When there's a Grand Slam, I always like to divide the episode in two parts, focusing on one side on the women's tournament and then on the men's tournament. And for this first part of the episode, I want to focus on the women's side. And I am so excited because it was actually such a great final between Arina Sabalenka and Elena Rybakina. And both players were great. They put on a great show and that was much, much, much better than I expected. And not because I don't believe in those players. Actually, I really do. But because they are such aggressive players and they had the same game, I was just worried that it will be like uh, just attacking, you know, styles and then like winners and then enforced errors. But there was like a lot of like great tactical and um, physical and mental great aspect of this game. So bravo to these uh, two great players. And I'm so excited and I hope that uh, we're going to see them again in finals of Grand Slam. But today I really want to focus on uh, Arina Sabalenka and on the five keys that helped her to reach to win a first Grand Slam because we know how much she struggled to to pass the semi-final you know barrier. She had uh, tough losses and it seemed that a lot of times when she was losing those matches, uh, emotions were getting the best of her. But today, I mean, sorry, yesterday she was able to to win that match. And uh, to be honest, it was great. Like it, it was for once I was watching the match hoping that both players was were going to win so for me i was i was very happy for her that that she won that that grand slam but let's focus on the five lessons that you can take from arena sabalenka to help you improve your mental skills number one accept the adversity and accept to be boring of course, when I'm saying boring, you know, I'm, I'm trying to say that uh, on quotation because 
when it comes to Arina Sabalenka, the least that we can say, the last thing that we can say about her is that she is boring. But before I jump into it, let me start with the first part of this first point. Accept the adversity. Before the Australian Open, when she won the tournament one week before or two weeks before the Australian Open in Adelaide, she said something that was quite interesting during a press conference. She said that I learned to accept to be boring and um, to accept that I have to work for it. And I really like that. When she, so then when people ask, what do you mean by boring? She said, well, you know, a lot of times when I used to um, come to the, the second, uh, second week of the slams, I was getting very agitated, I was getting excited, I was getting so stressed and I was trying to do too much and I was so focused on the win and it was getting the best out of me. But this time I've learned that I needed to stay calm and that's what I mean by boring. I need to stay calm, I need to learn how to, when I lose a point, to remain positive and to focus on my game plan Uh, focus on what I have to do and focus on what I can control. This is so important and I think that I want to say that again. Focus on what I can control. And a lot of time as tennis players, we are so um, distracted by everything else. We are distracted by the person we play against. We are distracted by a coach. We are distracted by our parents. We are distracted by the referee. We are distracted by the wind. And the only thing that we can control is how we play, our game plan, and our attitude. And that's exactly what Sabalenka is saying here. She's saying that, okay, I'm going to focus on staying calm and I'm going to focus on controlling that. Major point, so important. And I know it sounds very simple, but try that and you will see the difference. And then when I say accept the adversity, and it's something that she said a lot of times, and I've watched a lot of a press conference and she was always saying that, okay, I, I'm going to have to work for it. I'm going to have to work for it. And I, and I really like that because I think that sometimes we, we feel like we are entitled to the things. Uh, we, we worked hard, so we deserve the win. But the person, you know, that you're facing is, has also worked hard and also deserves to win. And sometimes, yes, you have to work for it. You have to go get it. And, um, and that was a very great example when she was playing the final and then the first uh, match point, she served a double fault. And it was great because someone asked her at the end of the match, how did you, what were you thinking when you, when you started double for it? And she was like, well, I just told myself, you're going to have to work for it. Go again. It's not over. And I really like that because a couple months before she would have probably crumbled. And I was worried. I was like, oh my gosh, if she loses that match, having um, a match point and having double fought. And then, you know, she was able to win, at, I think, after a third or fourth um, match point. And she, because she remained calm, she focused on what she could control. You hit a double fought on match point. What can you do? What can you control? You fix it. You try to, to think, okay, what is my toss? You fix it very quickly and you move on. And, and that was something that was, it was a crucial decision, decision 
accepting to become boring again um you know it's it, it's a joke you know I, I use that in the title as well but it's because she described herself as boring but I think it, it was a very great decision and it really helped her lesson number two respect yourself and believe in your potential why would you, you would you maybe think that okay why she's talking about respect well it is so important because tennis is such a hard sport and there's a lot of competition there's a lot of ego there are a lot of people who are going to probably tell you that you're never gonna make it and if you do not believe in yourself if you do not think that you can do it if you listen to the naysayers that are going to say, oh, I'm saying that for you, you know, because a lot of people will tell you, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about you, it's for your own good, but they have a secret agenda. I'm not trying to get you para- to become paranoid, but I'm just telling you that at the end of the day, people are working for their own agenda. Unless they are part of your team, they mostly likely to work for their agenda. So when I say respect yourself, is that you have to respect who you are, you have to believe in your potential and your capabilities to reach your objectives. And um, circling back on um, Sabalenka's story, she, she said that up until recently, when someone would come up to her and ask for an autograph, she would not understand why. She would be like, why is this person asking me for an autograph? I'm like, nobody. And... Some people might say, oh, wow, okay, but, you know, she doesn't consider herself. It means that she's very humble. But what I will tell you is that actually it is not humility. It is more about, like, not believing in your, in your status. I'm sorry, she, she's been, like, a top five player, top five, top ten for many years. And she deserves to be there. She hasn't stolen a spot. And then she said that when, you know, I was talking to myself that way I didn't respect my work and I had to make the realization that it was detrimental to my game I had to make the realization that when I was thinking like this I was being overwhelmed by negative emotions I had to I have to realize that when I had this attitude I could not reach my objectives and then if I wanted to win a grand slam I had to start to be proud of what I was doing I had to stop I had to start to respect my work I had to respect my journey that I have that I had to work really hard to be there and to really believe in my capabilities so that I think was also a very important lesson that she learned and that she was able to apply very quickly and it's something that I want to share with you because I really believe that believing is the key to everything and it's that blind faith that we've seen over and over in champions if you do not believe 100% that you cannot that you can do it you won't do it and it's not just about and I'm I'm being legit serious here and it's not just 99% 99% won't make it if you don't believe 100% that you can do it that you can achieve your goals it will not happen and this is the reality of professional sports and this is the reality of trying to achieve anything in life so that was very interesting so you know i i i would recommend that you start to really you know respect your journey respect who you are and to believe that you can achieve whatever you want to do then there was a clip that 
actually was circulating on social media after she won the tournament and and it was a short clip of her when when a um, journalist asked her so you know you you've you've shown improvement in the way of handling your emotions and have you worked with a sports psychologist and what is the work that you're doing with her with him and she said well actually i stopped working with a sports psychologist and uh, a few weeks ago and uh you know I, i i'm doing the work myself now And uh, I've seen in the comments, you know, how people were saying, oh, so she's like ditching sport journalists and who does she think she is and blah, blah, blah. But that point is like, why stopping working with a sports psychologist was beneficial to her? It is a podcast that is dedicated to mental skills and mental training. And If you are a regular listener to this podcast, you've heard me saying many times that it's very important. And I really believe in the work of like working with a sports psychologist, working with a coach, working with a mental trainer. And I and I absolutely believe in that 100%. But I also believe that a lot of people in the comment, in the comment section, they misunderstood what she was trying to say. So what Sabalenka, for those who haven't seen that clip, what she's saying is that she stopped working with a sports psychologist because she needed to find answers herself. And that prior to that, she had the belief that the sports psychologist was going to fix her issues, that the sports, sports psychologist was going, was going to fix her. And I think this is... The mistake that a lot of players make, you are the engine of your project, of your dream. You are at the heart of the project and you really are the key of everything and people should follow your lead. And I know that when I say that, a lot of people are telling me, oh, but Jennifer, what do you do when they are young and stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like... I'm sorry, this doesn't change. Because I truly believe that when a player is in charge, and of course, players need teams, and I absolutely believe that teams are crucial, but I also believe that players who are determined, that are, have like a strong drive, will attract the right people. And they are the ones who need to demand more. And what Sabalenka is doing here is not just saying that sports psychologists are useless. She's saying that she felt that she needed to do that work. She needed to actually take responsibility for a lack of results. Or um, she had to take responsibility for why she was not able to, to go Um, to finals of Grand Slam and win it all. And, and that, I think, was very good from her. And it was a very good catch. She was able to do that. And of course, sports psychologists are not here to find solutions for you. They're here to help you. But in that relationship that she mentioned, I, I don't know the, the person she was working with, but it felt like, okay, she was expecting someone to feed her answers. And then because that's a personality, she felt like, okay, she had to have a radical, to make a radical uh, change, a radical decision and say, okay, I'm going to do this on my own. And then 
Following up on that, taking responsibility, a coach, Anton Dubrov, wanted to quit and wanted to, to stop working with her last year in, in February, I think, after, after Dubai. And told her, basically, I don't think that I can help you anymore. I don't think that I can bring something new to the table. And I think it's better we, we part ways. First of all, I think this is admirable for so many reasons. The first one is that a lot of coaches, and I'm not taking jab at coaches here, but a lot of coaches, of course, when you are coaching a top 10 player, top 5 I'm pretty sure that uh, money is good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that uh, it's a nice line on your resume. But, and you're not willing to leave. But at the same time, I think that being able to say, look, I care about you. I care about how great you want to be. And I don't think that I'm... I can't help you to reach your goals anymore. I think we've, we've, we've come um, to an end. I think it shows a lot about the coach. I think that this is a great coach right there. And then Sabalenka was like, no, look, this is not about you. Again, she was saying that I think, I know actually the problem comes from me. And I don't want to blame. I don't want to play the blame game. I need to find those answers But I know that if you stay with me, you will help me to find those answers. But it has to come from me. So let's stay together. Let's find solutions. Let's walk into those tough moments together. And I'm sure we can succeed. And, and that, that was to me so great because you've seen um, the coach you know, crying at the end of the match. And usually you never see coaches actually crying. I... Um, especially in women's tennis, I, I think I hardly ever see coaches crying when, they, when their player wins a match. And I think that was very good and it was, it was showing that how much work they've done, how much um, difficulties they had to overcome. And of course, there are other members of the team, but I think it was very good from her to taking responsibilities and say, okay, answer comes from me. So that's something you want to do, being able to say, okay, I'm a player, I'm the engine. I'm the one who's leading the project. I'm the one who's, who has to, to make the decisions and to, and to sometimes um, really look for, for what I need to, to change. Lesson number four, be open to change. If you follow women's tennis, uh, you know that uh, Sabalenka is, is a very uh, uh, interesting uh, player, um, you know, with a, with a great personality. I mean, I, I, really, I really like her in the sense that, you know, people say that she's, she's crazy, but I, I love her intensity and I, and I will talk about it later. But last year she was struggling so much with a serve. I mean, it was, it was painful to watch. Serving double thoughts like there's no tomorrow. And it was something she was really, really, really struggling with. And then she met a biomechanics expert that literally saved her, saved her serve. And she explained that she met that guy and then that they started working together and it had a different approach that he was showing a lot of videos. And again, you don't need to be top 10 to... And to have a biomechanics um, 
expert in your team. You know, you have someone, you ask your coach to film you. Uh, phones are doing that a very good job nowadays. And you can just, it really helped her to, to watch a lot of videos. And that's something that I always say, if you get, if you have a chance, you know, tape things and then watch um, and watch yourself. And then she, she said that the expert really showed her like what was wrong with her serve and that she was open to change. And, and I really want to give her credits because when you are a tennis player, especially when you, you have the level of success that, that she had, she, she had already been top 10. She, she reached Grand Slam final, uh, sorry, Grand Slam semifinals. She, she had won many titles. Changing at that time, at that stage of your career shows really that you think and that you believe that you can do more because a lot of players once you are you have reached a certain point you don't want to make change you don't want to change because it's dangerous what if i i lose my surf completely what if i lose matches what is going to do to my ranking what is going to do to my reputation and etc and etc and we get consumed by all those thoughts and when you are, are at their level and able to do that it really shows that you have a mindset of a champion because you know that these temporary losses that you might have will be again temporary and then it will help you to reach your objectives later on so really kudos to that and uh, and it's something that i think that young players especially need to do when there is a change that need that need to be done and she said that at that time she was ready to accept the change maybe because it was a desperate situation but she said that when I was younger, I don't think I would have accepted that because I would have said, hey, I know how to serve and then, you know, and then be full of ego and stuff. But when you are a young player, and I'm saying that also to parents, I know sometimes, you know, you have great tournaments happening. I mean, at the same time as, as um, the Australian, there was Les Petits As, and uh, actually I, I was there and I, and I will make an episode about it in in an in, uh, upcoming week. And I know those tournaments are important and then sometimes you get a bit caught up in the, all the hype and, and you focus on the results at, at 13 years old. But I ensure you, I made that mistake and that I was, I was afraid to change because what if I was losing matches for three months and, and, and it's something that you never catch up. You need to be open to change from an early age. Of course, it doesn't mean that you need to change all the time, but it means that you need to have so much trust in your team and in the coach that you're hiring for your children that once you've, you've sat down and said, okay, this is going to take three to six months. For three to six months, everyone is in the same um, mindset, on the same line, and we don't move from that. And then we make... Um, and then we make the conclusion because in this world of tennis, people are going to start to talk. Oh, why did you change? And it's gonna and doubts are going to start uh, are going to creep in. You don't want that. If you decide to be open to change, you need to be again one hundred percent, not ninety nine, one hundred percent committed to it. And she was, and see what happened. Her serve was extra was extraordinary during the final. She. She, she won so many points, you know, thanks to that. So being open to change and really believing in it works. Last point before our bonuses is to being able to make the difference between overheat, overplay 
and play with high intensity. Arina Sabalenka, as I said before earlier in that podcast, was very in, is in is intense. She she has very that that strong intensity in in matches, and, and I think that perhaps besides Serena, I haven't seen a player that intense on the court. And she said that before, when she was coming towards the end of, of Grand Slam, she, she would be very anxious and she would try to overhit and overdo everything. And then she had to remain calm. When she lose the first first set against um, Rebekina in the final, I was like, well, let's see how she's going to react. Is she going to blow? I was, I was curious. And then she was not... Uh, actually, she didn't. She didn't, and then she even saved, I, I believe, some break points, and uh, and she remained very calm. And but what she did is that she increased a physical intensity, and she committed even more to her shots. But before, when she was just hitting the ball hard. And hoping that the ball would be in and, and, and not being able to face adversity. Hoping that hitting the ball hard will just help her to win points. She increased the intensity. She increased um, commitment to a game plan. She still remained, she was even more aggressive. But it was what I, I would like to call a controlled and, and thoughtful um, aggression. She had intention. She played with intent. You could see that every shot that she made was planned, calculated. She had an idea of exactly where she wanted to play the ball. There was no tactical mistake. She started to go to Rybakina's forehand. She, she was coming to the net. And then until the end of the game, she really was aggressive. She was, she was willing to do whatever it takes. And she was willing to play an extra shot. We're talking about Arina Sabalenka that refuses to play more than four shots per game, per, per point, sorry. And she was also willing sometimes to, to defend. One of the keys for me to that match, because she had, they had similar game, game styles, was to see who was going to be able to be the best defender. And she was able to to play really good shots in defense. And again, but even when she was in defense, she was trying to, to play aggressive defense to, to regain control of the point. So that was something that was new again when it comes to Sabalenka and something that I really appreciated. I mean, that game, was, that match was super exciting because there was so many insights and so many gems to take from that game. So bravo to her again because... She was able, after losing this, the first set, to keep a composure, to, to remain aggressive. But again, when you overhit, sometimes you do it out of fear. You try that, to hit the ball hard and hoping that the ball won't come back. She didn't do that. She increased the intensity. She was more present physically. And she was fully committed to a game style. And she has so much conviction. And I think that's something that we all need to, to do when we play being committed, committed, committed to, to our game style and to impose um, our rhythm to our, to our opponent. So that was really amazing. 
Now comes the bonuses. Because again, like I said, it was such an enjoyable match and I wanted both players to win because I I, I like Sabalenka's intensity, but I really, really, really enjoy Elena Rybakina's poise and, and way to handle things. I, I think it's just unbelievable. And um what what I've um what I found out when I was preparing this episode is that both Sabalenka and, and Rybakina are had a interesting way of creating their unique um, tennis DNA. I'm a big fan of watching other players to have uh, to, to get inspiration from players, from the greats. I think it's, it's great, especially when you're a young player. But both of these players, they, they said that uh, growing up, uh, Sabalenka said that she barely watched tennis. And uh, Ribakina said that she didn't have really um, childhood, um, you know, hero besides Federer for on the men's side, but on the woman's woman's side, not really. And I found that very interesting because it seems that both players have their own unique way of doing things. Sabalenka is super intense. You know, she's doing, you know, when she arrived on, on the scene, people were like, okay, who's that girl? You know, she's, I, I, there was one coach once told me that she was kind of an animal, you know, and then, and, um, and she does her thing. And the same with Ribakina, she's that player. We always talk about, oh, you need to be intense. You need to show the fist. Um, and, and to be honest, she's a bit challenging my belief because I always believe that she need to be intense. But I, when I watch Ribakina, I have absolutely no doubt about a determination uh, a willingness to win matches, but at the same time, she's so calm. You know, there's no emotions, but you can tell that. But but I like her because it's it's like a cold-blooded, you know, um, uh, assassin. You know, <laughs> and uh, she's she's very focused. She knows exactly what she wants to do. She she's very focused, and and she she doesn't. Um, she's not here to. To, 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 to mess around. She knows, she means business. And, I, and that's something that I really enjoy about her. So both of them, I think, were able to forge their own identities. And, um, and that's something I wanted to give it to you. Like when you, you, it's of course great to have some models, and, but at the same time, it's important to have your own path to, to create your own identity. And I think someone, it, it reminds me also of Carlos Alcaraz, who when he came, people tried to say, oh, he's the new Nadal, oh, he's the new this, but actually, he's just Carlos Alcaraz, no one plays like him, I mean, when I watched him play, I was like, this kid, I mean, he's doing his thing, people try, and then so people say, oh, he's a combination of uh, the big three, no, I mean, the guy is, is just great, and he's doing his own thing, is being Carlos Alcaraz. So I think this is something that is wonderful and, and that you can be inspired from. Like, of course, you have models, but try to do your own thing. And then bonus number two. Um, again, I want to, to say a few words about um, Elena Rebakina because I think that she is great for women's tennis in, in so many ways. She is great because, like I've said, the way that she's, she's able to control emotion is something that I think is just phenomenal. You don't see her overreacting. You don't see her um, making stupid mistakes. It's something that I think is really great. And even after the loss of the final, she was able to... She, she was, it, it was so interesting because 
I'm sure she was disappointed, but at the same time, it really felt like she was like, okay, I know I'm going to be there again. Let me learn from it and let me be grateful. And that's it. And again, that's why I want to say also, it's the way, she, the way of, of learning. I like players who learn quickly. And I think that Ribakina is one of those players. When I watched the final of Wimbledon last year, she, she won, um, and I think in such a great way, because she was able to, she, she was able to, to come to the net when she was not great at the net, but she knew that it was the key for her to win. And again, when I, when I watched her play today, she sorry yesterday <laughs> she was able also to i see that she she's been improving the of movement is so much better it's getting better and better and she was able to really like being good in defense at some points um especially in the first set and and i really i really want to come on her for that and she's very determined i really want you to take that from her again i'm the i'm a big uh advocate of like okay the the fifth part, the fifth bomb but at the same time when I watch Makina I'm like well this girl she's great because she's determined and she let a racket do the talking she's a grand slam winner but yet people seem to to thought that it was a fluke they put her on on court number I don't know 34 35 or okay 13 but still to start a tournament and it feels like yeah she, because she's quiet you know sometimes people are like okay she's not bankable and stuff but she was like, okay, look, you know what? Because I, I've read a couple of months ago that she was pissed off, that nobody cared basically about the fact that she won Wimbledon because there was no point and everything, and they didn't consider that. But I love that she said, you know what? I'm going to come back and I'm going to win, so I'm going to show everyone that I deserve to be here. So let you, I can do the talking. There's no need to, and she's always so gracious. And there's, there's no need to to get into words and to, to say stuff, let the racket do the talking. Anyway, that's it for that first part. I, again, wanted to say big congrats to, to Sabalenka. Uh, and it was great to see Rebakina in the final again. And I hope that we will see great matches like this again um, in, in this year. Stay tuned for this second part of this episode about the Australian Open. And of course, I will focus on Novak Djokovic win against Stefanos Tsitsipas. And I will publish the episode on Tuesday. Until then, take good care of yourself. And don't forget, if you like that episode, don't forget to share with someone you think might need this. Take care. Bye.